Stephen Aoki. Steve Aoki. Steve A-O-K. Steve A-O-K. Hey, are things good? Yeah, everything is Steve Aoki. One second. Steve, 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 Steve. Steve. Everybody. Pre-show banter. Um, just, you know, I want to do something, you know, like a, a goof beforehand. You know, an, an opening thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to get back in the in the swing of things. Clamming up. You're clamming up? Clamming up. You're clamming up. You need to clam down. Working for the clam down. You're getting too loud. You need to clam down. <laughs> what is going on with Taylor Swift right now? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> what, what, what's she up to? Yeah, does she, no, it seems like she totally bungled this new phase of her uh, of her career. Yeah, it's not good. She like launched a new version and Taylor V 6.0 it's, is just like, it's like let's when move the, on to the next one. The Samsung Galaxy Note 7 started exploding in people's carry-on bags. Yeah, and they were like, uh, like we're uh, just going to move on to the 8. Uh, yeah. Honestly, uh, uh, tethering her her star to uh, Brendan Urie right now seemed like a bad move. Well, it was promising. At you could say that they had high hopes for the collaboration. Uh, but it you know, but it 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 didn't make a dime, nor did it make but, a living. But hey, hey, look, Ma, they they didn't make they it. They didn't make it. I no. mean, she's printing money. She's fine. I mean, she's fine. Yeah. She's also like. I guarantee she's about to has has made noise about wanting to re-record her entire earlier catalog so she can own it again. That is so that is actually boss. Like I think that's actually kind of funny, especially like I don't know if I were a pop musician, I would relish the chance to like reproduce things, things. Yeah, better. If she like, took a year off to get around copyright rules. If she took a year off and re-recorded every song when, and when then released the it on like a five hundred dollar like. Every every Taylor Swift song up to I guess the last album is the first one off her bad deal. Yeah, um, in like you know a fucking gold plated like the 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 you know Moses's tablets of Taylor Swift. <laughs> it comes with a car. It's you actually buy a car, mm-hmm. but the car has all the songs programmed into it. Yeah, and also you can't play any it. It would be music like the, the Mers car. car of uh of pop music. Do you know about the Mers car? Mm-mm. Uh. Noise musician Mersbau is long rumored, though I don't think this has ever been independently confirmed, to have created a uh, a, a f- f- work of physical media by um like making a tape of his noise music and then putting it in a car and jamming it in such a way that it was stuck in the car mm-hmm. and to remove the tape would destroy the music. So the only way you could listen to ah. the music was in the car itself. That's cool. Uh, kind of like my idea of the podcast, the cassette tape taken to the uh, the most uh, extreme. And the next Chapo uh, fundraiser physical release will, in fact, be the Chap Car. Nice. Yes. And just park it somewhere, maybe like the most, the centermost part of America, so it's equidistant from everybody. Yeah, and if you want, you can go and take a spin in the car and listen to the podcast app, and then you have to park it right back where it is. Mm. It'll be app based opening, like a like a car to go rip. <laughs> yeah, a rip car to go. That was a good time. Anyway, want to talk about uh, Stephen Aoki? Yeah, let's talk about Steve. All right. Hi, and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on the decks, put your hands up. It's Mr. Steve Aoki. Now, this is the first time we've dipped our uh, plurnt toes into the world of electronic <laughs> dance music. Today, we'll be uh, transversing all the builds and drops of EDM through the memoir of the Hibachi Air turned superstar producer, Steve Aoki. 
and his book, Blue, The Color of Noise. I got to go to the hospital because all my toes are all plurnt. <laughs> I've plurnt my toes and my fingers. Prolonged exposure to plur can uh, I can't walk. leave you with plurnt toes. Yeah, I need, I need an intervention. She had to have her toes ant- amputated. Unplurnted. Uh, uh, from, yeah, from too much plurnt. Ugh. Hi, Molly. How are you? Hi. It's been a minute, it's right? It's been a minute. So far, the only thing we've done, it's March 11th right now, and the only thing we've done this year is two episodes about jam bands. Oh, God. This is bad. No. This uh, is cancelable. I, I, like, right here at the top of the show, I do want to shout out anybody who is fucking staying with the show after two months of darkness. We're back. We've, we've been busy. Uh, we've been busy uh, going on the crusade. We're trying to get Bernie Sanders elected president. And, hey, we're still trying. We're still trying. Oh, it's not It's not over, folks. It's not over. Just keep your keep your knives sharp. Uh, and your, uh, your, your fingers texting. Uh, for the cause, but uh, I do want to right here at the top of the show, shout out all the lovely people we met in uh, four different states Yes, uh, who were introducing fans, who introduced themselves to me and Molly, who said they appreciate this podcast, who had, um, you know, things that they wanted to talk about with us, who uh, just enjoy the show. Uh, this has always been, I mean, we try to take it somewhat seriously, but this has always been nothing more than a hobby and something that we do to fun that we have do to have fun together. And, uh, just talking about the idea that there are people out out there who actually like listen and enjoy our, uh, stupid, uh, show about Duff McKagan is, uh, puts, puts literal tears in my eyes. It's confusing. (laughs) It's it's heartening. We love you. No, I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm confused and, and tickled and pleased. You are confusion. I am confusion Uh, to the, the person who I met in, uh, in Iowa who wants, the Guns N' Roses circle to be complete uh, or closer to complete. We will definitely, I promise you, we will we will do the rest of the members some way, somehow. It's happening. How how many of them? Have, is it is it all of them? There is, uh, oh God. Does Axel have a memoir? No. So we can't fully complete But we'll have to find a piece of writing about him. But um, one of the other guys. Uh, Izzy, right? Izzy Stradlin has a memoir. So maybe he's next. Maybe it will that. Well, I guess we have an anniversary coming up in June. Maybe we'll do the. Uh, yeah. The Izzy Stradlin. As we're our, not. As our we're next. not off the guns train. I promise. And Axel, what the fuck are you doing, man? Put a memoir out there. I mean, he's got a lot to say. Probably the most to say. But he's he's a mer- mercurial guy. He's, he is. He is. A, he is a land of mysteries. We'll do it in his own time. He's, it's going to be like Bob Dylan. He's going to put it out when he's like sixty nine. Uh, nice. Yeah, and and it, it'll have a like a singular name that implies like an undue weight to it, like Axl Rose Testament. Yeah, or like it'll it'll be like a two two book uh sweet and the first one is called guns and the second one's called roses <laughs> that would actually rock for a- axel because it would be like the first one is all the shit talk yeah you know it's it's the it's the it is the guns it's the guns out it's the beefs it's the uh settling the, the settling the scores it's the complete and uh unabridged testament to who has done him wrong and then the second volume is the friends he made along the way. The friend, I, don't, I think the the second one might be shorter. Yeah. Well, the first one, the first one is like a Moby Dick length book. Then the second one is like a, a light pamphlet. My struggle, <laughs> my struggle by Axel Axel Rose. Axel Rose's My Struggle would also be great. Yeah. Ghost Ghost written by Carl uh, Nov Nov Alsgard. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it all sounds the same. Yeah. Uh, so that's our, that's our suggestion to Axel. Yes. The guns slash roses memoir duology. Fuck. We'll write it. 
I feel like I could do. You know how those like the me the memes are like we fed thirty thousand you know recipe blogs into a bot and this is what it came out with, and I feel like I've I am like that. You know, we are like that. You know what you should absolutely do, Molly, Mm -hmm. is uh, write a a test chapter and pitch it around of a memoir for someone who never existed. Oh yeah, a a music memoir for somebody who never existed. That is just run like as all the tropes of these memoirs. Yeah, just a, a bot a bot novel a bot novel. I would do that. Uh, Jenny Bot. <laughs> That's the the pop. That sounds like name. a good uh, Jenny Any Bots. Jenny Any Bots. That's the. <laughs> sorry, folks. We saw cats. We, we did, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna see it again. Well, you can't it's only stop me. Uh, I'll Iro- wipe down the whole movie theater, including the screen. That's Iro- all, also, we should contextualize right now. This the city just might be lousy with the Rona. Oh yeah, this is, we are we are in the, uh, the the very beginning of a global pandemic, uh, shutting down our city. But that's we need podcasts during this. time. We need podcasts, and podcasts are the best because you can record them in your house. You don't have to go outside. Yeah. As long as you just disinfect it, the microphone, it's all Gucci. It is funny to uh, be in a, in a closed ecosystem of podcasting where we can <laughs> create uh, our, our entire economic infrastructure, at least you and I can, or almost all of it, from just sending out and receiving podcasts. Yes. Yep. Oh, boy. Where did I see? Was it? Uh, I think there was an interview with Dasha from Red Scare where she said that like in the future, the only jobs are basically going to be like gamers and podcasters. Uh, I would add one more to that. Yes. Okay. Here's my future. My conception of, of a future. This is like I mean, it would be a bad version of dystopia, but I just like you walk around places like this part of Brooklyn and you just imagine a society where everybody is either like a content creator mm-hmm. or a beer brewer, like a small bag micro, uh, uh, brewery beer brewer like the entire economy is just that it's the people who stream the people who make alcohol for them and then all the attendant industries to supply those people so it's it's like it's literally just like them it's like it's like clothing food production healthcare brewers streamers (laughs) that's yeah i mean it 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 is the society the condensate it is the wally you know lifestyle and the the those people and their like those squishy people in their little pods basically consumed entertainment and food and then there were people who like cleaned their pods uh and i i I bet we have at least one guy who works in a one guy or girl who works in a brewery listening but you know we've toured of several breweries on all these tours and stuff and i i love meeting brewery people and i hope this doesn't sound like condescending to them but it really does seem like a return to the almost feudal thing where uh uh you know your your first son would uh marry into nobility and your second son would be a knight and your third like fail son would go be a monk which basically meant being a beer brewer yeah and i feel like all the people who i meet in breweries now are like modern fail sons who are like well hey at least i get to make something with my hands and honestly yes that's great like that's more than most of us can say honestly being a a, a microbrewer is a much more rewarding career i would imagine than when i was doing like video content creation love to make something yeah making something (laughs) rocks that's why we do podcasts anyway this podcast is about music not about (laughs) microbrews but we're yeah we're we're we'll talk about you know we probably won't talk about beer again but we'll talk about steve aoki yes who's uh whose memoir this uh this book is about yeah hopefully this will be a little bit of a loopy one because uh you know we're, we've been pent up inside for a few days there's not really much to do and also we've we've got we haven't potted in so long we're, we're potting pent up you know uh we've we've only done two this entire year we've, we've got a lot to say the, right now the just remember the jesus walks like kanye line where it's just like i like i want to pray but i haven't talked to pod in so long oh <laughs> uh, Hand to pod. Hand to pod. Ugh, God. Anyway, 
Steve Aoki. What, Steve what do you know Aoki. about him? Uh, I do know a few things about he's him. He's real and he's my he's friend. My friend. Uh, we did watch the Steve Aoki documentary. You uh, watched that with me? Yeah, I like half watched it. Okay. I maybe like half watched the last two thirds of it. When I watch movies, sometimes Chris comes in halfway through, sits down for three minutes and then either says this rocks or this sucks. Like the, the best, I think we've actually <laughs> talked about this on the pod when, we? when you were watching a uh, free solo. Yeah. Uh, about that obnoxious uh, climber guy yeah. and you were like halfway through and I came in and sat down an antisocial climber Antis- has anyone said that about him yet? oh my god no that's a good you heard joke. it here first uh, sat down and after like two minutes I'm like this guy fucking sucks and I hate him yeah he was not good you don't need to climb the stupid mountain no nobody cares no one does and well I mean people cared but I don't think he wanted them to care I think he was just like uh, if I die you know, no, I lived it to the fullest. I'm in the pursuit. Fuck that of, guy. That guy sucks. I'm the, I'm the pursuit of happiness. Uh, be be kind to your girlfriend, dude. Anyway, yes, I was okay. watching this, and you basically watched it. He made a documentary a a couple years ago called "Please Hold." Is it called I'm, "I'll Sleep When I'm Dead"? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, that's it's most, called "I'll Sleep When I'm Dead." It came out in 2016. Uh, that I learned from it is that he seems like a chill guy. His dad invented Benihana, and um. He is somehow more famous than other EDM producers other than being seemingly exactly like most of them. Do you like his music? Would you say you know his music? I know a few songs of him. I like all the stuff that he has. It seems, I will say this, it seems very, air quotes, generic, air quotes, EDM. But most of the songs I hear I like because I do have a soft spot for EDM. And that mic drop song that he does with BDS, which I know we'll talk at length later. Yes, actually, we can talk as long as you want slaps and bangs and fucks and owns and rules. Okay, that song is great. So that's your Steve Aoki familiarity. Yeah. Okay. Well, so yeah, I had seen the documentary before this. Uh, I was aware of Steve Aoki basically since I was like a culture hound teen reading Nylon magazine Mm. uh, in the late mid to late aughts and was aware of like what was happening in L.A. and New York City. And he, this I was your, aware of this guy as like a cobra snake. Years. My cobra snake years when I was just desperately, you know, for lack of anything normal or good to do in Vermont. Remember blogs? Yeah. Hey, hand a blog. Hand a blog. Honest to blog. Do you remember blog. that from? Uh, I think that's what Juno? I think that's what I'm trying to reference. Honest to blog. Uh, that's what her friend says when on the phone when the uh, Juno friend. says that she's pregnant. She goes, "Honest to blog." Uh, that movie, terminally quirky. I love I, that movie makes me cry. I'm sorry. It's because I, you know, fully cooked into a human during this time. Yeah, that's kind of a good mu- movie about music lovers because that's a good movie about a music loving creep and and creeps yeah. using the power of like knowing music as a seductive. Tool. Well, it was funny. I thought you meant Juno because I'm like, Juno's kind of a creep, too. <laughs> she is kind of a creep, but no, Jason Bateman. Yes. Oh, yeah. Good times. Mm-hmm. The older I get, the more I'm like. Yikes. <laughs> Speaking of Bateman, Jason Bateman in a movie is like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, except instead of murdering uh, the person, he's like seducing her being like, have you heard about Sonic Youth? Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Um. A- anyway, I, Steve Aoki was a, a part of the cast of characters of this New York and L.A. based party crew whose exploits I saw documented with flash point and shoot cameras Mm -hmm. uh so i didn't but that being said in the time where i was reading print media but didn't have enough money or literal internet bandwidth to listen to any of this music i knew what he looked like but i didn't know what he sounded like and turns out that's basically a fine way to be a fan of steve aoki (laughs) because you you understood that he was a again air big air quotes 
musician. Yes. But you also understood that the actual content shape or form of his music was basically irrelevant to his existence. Yes. And also this was the era of the celebrity DJ mm-hmm. and the like DIY DJ. Like mm-hmm. once iPods existed, it basically be DJing became it went from a, you know, a monk like craft mm-hmm. that required years of practice and someone carrying around like a shitload of physical media to a laptop and an iPod. And then all of a sudden, like weird children of celebrities were doing it yeah. at uh, misshapes or whatever. And the, like the same venue would back to back two nights do like, uh, you know, who, Kelly Osborne. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it would be like. <laughs> Friday night. No DJ, shade to Kelly. She's kind of cool. Uh, it would be like Friday night, DJ AM. Saturday night, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Yes. And so I do feel like Steve Aoki's conception, public conception was caught between hobby DJing and legitimate DJing, even though he is a legitimate DJ and he, producer. He is listening to songs. I can tell that he knows his way about around the knobs. Yes. He's not. He's no stranger to the knobs. So that's that, that's my familiarity. I'm sure I've heard his music ambiently way more often than I've realized. That's probably true. I rarely seek it out. That's fine. Um, there's a few songs of his that I like genuinely like, like the mic drop one of recent. Well, even, even like going through his Spotify page, I, I think he's very clearly not somebody that you would like go to Spotify and play Steve Aoki songs. No, he, he would be like, he finds you. You would be on like a, I don't know, like, um, a upbeat party mega mix on Spotify. And there'd be like a Steve, Steve Aoki song there, or like, somebody you would know would have a Steve Aoki remix of their song on an album or release it on YouTube. Or you wouldn't even know, again, as you said, you wouldn't even know a Steve Aoki remix. It would be like, you didn't know what the original song was for this artist, but what you are hearing on the radio is actually the Steve Aoki remix of whatever the original album song is that is not the radio. Yes. Something like that. Yes. So this is also the part where I disclose, because I feel like I've shared on the pod before that I'm a a big fan of electronic dance music. We both are. Um, A burgeoning fan. I used to not be in college. I think I maybe actively disliked it and Mm -hmm. thought it was, uh, you know, too much corny uh, associated with people that perhaps I didn't want to hang out with. Too simple. Bro-y. Yeah, Uh, bro-y. Yes. And then in the years after college, like my sisters would play we, when we lived together in New York, they would like play some real big like Avicii type shit. Sure. Uh, or like there's this remix. Maybe you can maybe this will be our first uh, first music cue. Will you just look up uh, Lion King EDM? There's a like remix of the circle of life that's kind of batshit. Is, is this something I should go to YouTube for? Yes. Okay. I don't think this is available through um, traditional oh, God. means. Circle of life uh, EDM. And just let me know what artist comes up. We can also uh, trap remix, lucid remix. Let me. Sorry, I don't, His, I don't mean to derail things. So early. there are a lot of circle of life remixes. Uh, Skrillex and Di- Diplo, Jungle Bay. Circle of Life, King of Africa, Lion King of King. Africa. That's it. Uh, this is this is Jack U. Really? Yeah. I, oh. Well, let's see, let's see if this is what it. Jack U is a uh, Diplo D- plus Skrillex. Is this it? Yeah. Uh, you should. I wish you could all see the uh, the the wave of nostalgic giggles that washed over Molly's. 
Jungle Bay. <laughs> I'm not sure if this was it exactly, but it was more something or along less. these lines. Yeah. So this this is what so I associated wait. EDM culture with for a very long time of just like being overtly kind of dumb. Yeah. My sister, her senior year of college, went to spring break in some spring breaky location and said that the hotel they were staying in would wake people up with a, a circle of life EDM remix every morning at like 10 a.m. Well, like never... they would blast it in the pool area and you could hear it through every floor. I have never heard anything more uh, spring breaky than that. Yeah. I mean, so this, this, is, this is what I thought it was and I wasn't ready. Like I couldn't hang. The and thing it, that really... the older I get, I'm kind of down. The thing that really sold me about EDM is really um, the uh, realizing that it was mostly just monster synthesizer riffs and that is something that I have um, always loved but sought out in like a rock concert or rock context yeah and some of the stuff about this that, that it's always these like very predictable rhythms of builds and drops or whatever like some of that stuff I'm like I don't really care but give me the synth lead That's not synth. That's a, that's like alternating samples. But when the, when the right after the um, right after the the uh, Nas Bem yeah thing dropped, <laughs> yeah, the first part of this was the big monster synth blades. Yeah. So that's what I like about it. Yeah. I like the big goofy synth sounds and the insistent beat. It's it's good. It's energizing. Yeah. Uh, and and you know that, I'm also aware that we're speaking of I think one specific flavor of yes, commercial sure. EDM, and there's all kinds of micro genres. Yeah, I'm of course. And I mean that's the most embarrassing thing is that I now know like several genres of, of EDM. Melbourne, Melbourne bounce. Melbourne bounce. Should we play a little Melbourne bounce? Sure. While we're just talking about what the nature of EDM is right yeah. now, uh, you know, I'll play my favorite uh, my favorite EDM song, uh, which is a song by TJR, mm-hmm. uh, featured featuring. Um, Dances with White Girls. This is a song called Ass Hypnotize. And this really gets to like the sonic qualities that I like in EDM mm-hmm. that are just like those big pad trance hits. And kind of like program fades and stuff. The house music beats, the stuff like this. Yeah. I just have to get to the, uh, you know, where they where they do the lyrics that I like so much, that resonates so much with me on a spiritual level. Move it up and down, clap it side to side, twerk it round and round, I'm ass hypnotized. Move it up and down, shake it side to side, bounce it round and round, I'm ass hypnotized. Move it up and down, up and down, Amongst us has not been ass hypnotized. At some point. Anyway, this just speaks to me. Uh, this song has a really great. Oh, let's listen to the drop. I'm ass hypnotized. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of big goofy synth lead that I'm into. That like LMFAO eventually cribbed and resold to us. Big rubbery sounding synth. Synth, come on. Yeah. That fucking rocks. It's, it's so fun. fun. No, I was definitely just like... Bit, I, just before we get off this, this uh, this song, Ass Hypnotized by TJR, also has a really fun and funny They Live-themed music video, yes. which I think I somehow saw first before I heard this song, and that's what turned me... Honestly, turned me on to this whole genre. And now, honestly, I would love to see TJR, but I don't think he tours anymore. I don't know. Uh, TJR, if you're out there. If you're listening, come, come to New York, man. After the, after the Corona outbreak. 
Yeah. Don't don't get the Rona. Great. So yeah, I I, I, I was aware of Steve Aoki as a, a scene fixture. I was aware of uh, the there is some uh, derision of of Steve Aoki uh, by I guess lots of people. Other not EDM taking guys? him seriously or suggesting he's too commercial, too like too gimmicky. Uh, we can get into that a little bit, but sure. let's let's get into his book. Yes, which is a very it's a very silly book. It's very I I liked it a lot. Like I I liked it. Mm, did I like did I like it? It's not going to tell you anything about Steve Aoki other than what he wants you to know. He wants you to know. And what he wants you to know is like very specific and very random. Uh, it's definitely a peek into his <laughs> I, mind. And I, I think I need to open this by just reading the first like few paragraphs like verbatim. Okay. So you understand the general writing style. Okay. Sometimes I think my whole life can be seen through shades of blue the hope and promise of a clear blue sky, the vast expanse of the deep blue sea, the melancholy that clutches at my heart between the notes of an old blues tune, the Dodger blue of my cap when I was invited to throw out the first pitch at Dodger Stadium, the glistening blue scales that reflect off a fresh piece of cojada when it catches the light in just the right way, the sweet electric blue of the first generation BMW i8, the car of my dreams, which has to me always screamed excellence and elegance. In Japan, blue represents strength and good fortune. In our house, when I was growing up, it was the color of how things might have been. <laughs> It's wow. a lot. That is a lot. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> there's so many things going on in that. I'm just, I'm not even sure what to latch onto. Uh, otherwise, by uh, other than saying uh, blue, more like purple for the color of that prose. Yeah, <laughs> like I just, if you you know, the thought bubble above Stevie Oki's head when he like first sits down to write, and he's like, you know, blue is really inspirational to me. Uh, what's what's blue? <laughs> Sushi. My, a car <laughs> like my, my mind family? my family yeah the, like a, the va infinite vastness of the ocean yeah and i think the best way to like really describe this book is that all of those things have equal weight to him <laughs> yes like cultural tradition versus like a bmw yeah yeah two thousand years of japanese cultural tradition and also that sweet bmw <laughs> yeah it's it's all the same to steve like it's you know in the same way all samples are equal, are of equal or all, way. Yeah, yeah. all the knobs uh have equal have promise yes, exactly uh he's a dj he's just everything goes into he's the, mixing and mashing he's mixing he's mixing and matching uh he's cutting and splicing and I should say, Aoki means blue tree in Japanese. Oh, okay. So great. he's he needed. I'll say this: he needed some. He needed a theme to come back to because otherwise. I'm imagining him and his ghostwriter just with like just pounding his head, the ghostwriter like pounding his head on the wall after like just next to a mountain of crumpled up pages. It's just like Steve sitting at a typewriter. That's like Steve Aoki, book one, chapter one, paragraph one. I just don't. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Guy just being like, I don't know what's blue. Blue. <laughs> and the, and well, you're like, like literally, still like Steve. What's your favorite color? Yeah, exactly. And he's like, you know, I've always vibed with blue. And he's like, just cool. go, just run with think it. Of, go. Think of things in your life that are blue. Okay. Okay. I got. I like this car. <laughs> That's like that's like the prompt, and then the rest of the memoir flows from. <laughs> what's your Steve? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? <laughs> it's the you know it's the end of uh end of. Rocky or not Rocky Horror Jesus uh, end of Monty Python yeah yeah but he he passes what the test. is your favorite color blue no wait green ah! ah 
So Steve Aoki, born November 30th, 1977. Uh, the, the most important thing to get in the beginning of this biography of his is that, so his father is named Rocky Aoki. Rocky Aoki, Great cool name. name. Uh, and Rocky is just like this larger than life dude. Yes. He's a businessman. He's a daredevil. So he makes himself very rich off of uh, inventing Benihana, yes. which so, opened in New York in the early 60s. Yes. So we, we were looking into Benihana earlier just because we were thinking about how we were doing this. And the details that I gleaned, this is just off the Wikipedia sure. page, is that he raised the $10,000 to open the first Benihana on West 56th Street. Yeah. Um, in by operating an ice cream truck cart, yeah in, cart, yeah cart in uh harlem yes in like the late 50s early 60s yes and then open this like crazy i mean I, I don't want to be reductive but like crazy for the time like samurai hibachi restaurant yes that became a hit after what is that lady's name tangerine Melancamp? clementine um fuck clementine melancholy clementine pad padding for Paddleford, Clementine, Clementine Paddleford. Paddleford, who herself is a crazy person that we also learned about uh, researching this, who was a like a an all star food writer of the early of like the 40s through 60s in America, who like went to like agricultural science college in Kansas, like was born she in was Kansas. She was born in, in 1898 in, in Kansas, Kansas and in, then lived like, in New York City after getting a degree in industrial journalism. <laughs> from the agricultural school of university of Kansas and also was a Piper cub pilot. And that's how she would get around the country to visit various restaurants and like document mid-century American food traditions. Clementine Paddleford invented Clementine the Paddleford word hero to, to describe a sub sandwich because you had to be a hero to finish it all. Yes. She like, I don't know how I do know how we got here, but anyway, the, this, this woman is indirectly kind of responsible for, for Steve, Steve Aoki, Aoki being yeah, yeah. able to exist. Anyway, we, the point of all this digression is that we stand several legends. <laughs> yes. Many, several layers of legends. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's legends all the way down yeah. as this goes. Cause Rocky Aoki is also of, of legend. Yes. For so he and he wasn't a normal business. He was almost kind of like a, a pre Richard Branson, like, like a more insane Richard yeah. Branson, but also like a a, a a thrill seeker. He raced speedboats and uh, jet skied, and he was a wrestle. He wrestled for the Japanese national team before he opened uh, Benihana. Like he's a really uh, kind of Paul Bunyan like guy. Yes. Like he's a larger than life dude. Yes. And the th crazy thing about his family life is that he had uh, three children with Steve's mom, including Steve. Uh, and then he had three kids with a complete different second family uh, that they didn't know about. <sighs> so he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. And then he also had a, another child with a person whose mother he didn't have a relationship with. But it wasn't until he got into a huge boating accident that his two families raced to his side at the hospital and met each other for the first time. Uh, that's fucked up. Steve wasn't born yet, uh, but he said that it became just like an apocryphal story in his <laughs> family's life of just being like, yeah, that's crazy. That time that my dad like crashed his, his boat, was rescued from shark-infested waters, and then his two families met <laughs> for the first time. And then did they like continue to interact, or did they just like he say, well... Nice to meet you. We'll uh, head off to uh, do our Steve's own thing. Steve's mom divorced him after okay. a little bit after that. But he says he has a generally good relationship with all of his like siblings and half siblings from the other family from the other family. I, I don't know. That's that, that's one of those things that can go either way. Either, yeah. either you like because it's uh, honestly it's like you can be mad at the dad at the center of that. But it's like, why be mad at each other? You're all like you're all basically in the same. You didn't boat. ask to be born. <laughs> that's, a, that's one of the things where you should look across the aisle and be like, 
look, honestly, solidarity here. Are we good? Fuck, fuck the guy on top. <laughs> we good? Uh, and he says of his his crazy family, he says, I am my father's son, a showman, a restless spirit, a, fear, a fearless thrill seeker. I am my mother's son as well, a compassionate soul, a gentle spirit, an open mind. So he's he, yeah he has he has the the two the two spirits with it within him the yes. two wolves <laughs> within you is two wolves one a, what a, is bo- your- a one is a boat racer and the other is one half of his family. <laughs> uh, also, but I've never been to Ben. Have you been to Benihana? I have been to Benihana, and I will say, I mean, I haven't been in a long time. I've been I went like two times, like once in high school, once in college. Uh, my memory of it is that it rocks. Yeah, it's like very cheesy. But the thing, the essential thing that they deliver, the like dinner and a show aspect of it is great. The show is the the, the chef thing, performance thing is extremely charming, and the food is like pretty good. Yeah, uh, and the environment is fine. Genius. Uh, I w- I would say my memories of Benihana are unequivocally, unequivocally, unequivocally good. Good. Yeah, solid A. To Four, four stars on Yelp. And honestly, because we're doing this, we will probably go to a Benihana soon. Yeah. No, this this book made me want to get Benihana. Yeah, it's good. We should get a crew together. I've, get I've never gone, but uh, Burlington, Vermont had like a hibachi grill, mm-hmm. uh, which was essentially like the same knockoff like experience. Yeah, hibachi Hana. Yeah, that we would like go to in high school for like very, very special occasions because <laughs> well, it was like expensive aka it was like twenty dollars <laughs> well this podcast is a special occasion so i'll take you out to benny oh thank you i can't wait once the rona gets out yeah well yeah uh it is a communal food experience yes everyone's touching everything and oh, right hopefully now we not need, the grill right now hot. we need isolated food experiences like that ramen place in williamsburg where they serve you ramen through an anonymous in a curtain booth, yeah in a in a booth all by yourself yeah um, I should share here that throughout the book, there are these like interstitial chapters that he- are labeled drops. <laughs> uh, and a drop usually suggests, you know, a, a moment of uh, of uh, uh, combustion. E- ecstasy, of, release. Yeah, re- release, uh, the the culmination. Yeah. Uh, not really in this case. These chapters are mostly just like random shit he's thought and that has to do with the color <laughs> blue. So this is more like the inner calorie chapters in... Uh, 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 Grapes of Wrath, where it's like a chapter of plot and then a chapter where Steinbeck's just like, consider the wind moving dust along the plains, sure. endlessly shifting the tides of the American landscape as it gets into the cracks of the psyche of the Oki. Psyche, psyche of the Oki. Yes, that is exactly right. Like he, he has a, tra- a drop that is just about how much he likes to wear jeans. <laughs> And Chris, the the right pair of jeans, like when you've been wearing it just long enough and it fits you just right and they look good. God, what's better than that? Honestly, I was just talking about this, right? My theory that you are cosmically only allowed one good pair of jeans at a time. That is certainly true for you, sir. It's good. I mean, I don't know if, if (laughs) if you have also experienced this, but basically like as soon as you get a good pair of jeans, it is your good pair of jeans. Yes. And then all the other jeans, no matter how good they were in the, in the past somehow suddenly shift so that they become bad pairs of jeans and the in your current, or just not yeah they're not as good and therefore they're bad yeah they're not the good pair of jeans yep and then you're like even if you want because this happens to me all the time i'm like i okay so this is my good pair of jeans i they're actually fairly new i like this cut this model this whatever i'm yes. gonna go get like a slightly different color so i have two good pairs of jeans yes no it doesn't nope. work that way as soon as you get the next good pair of jeans somehow the last good pair of jeans Fall, falls yes. in some way. Yes. 
Well, that's just, that is also the, unfortunately, the practice of uh, like industrial factory uh, production of clothes, which, yeah. you know, if you say you need like 200 pairs of pants and you cut them all down like a, with a giant blade down 200 layers of fabric, they're not going to be the same size. That's true. So it's, it's, these, it's these little things. It's the little things. It's the little things. Um, so yeah, he, he's, into, he's into jeans. Another blue drop is about the blue sky on the morning of Tuesday, September 11th. Oh, yes! We've got a classic yes. 9-11. More, than, more so than other people, uh, 9-11 and Steve Aoki, wow. He was in New York. He was uptown. Uh, the first thing he gets is a call from his sister, Devin Aoki, who do you know who Devin Aoki uh, is? Model slash actress. Model uh, actress. Who appeared most notably in that uh, Killers video and in one of the Fast, Fast and, and Furious. Furi yes. Uh, she's great. Uh, the Devin calls him and is like, yo. 9-11 happened. 9-11 happened. I'm getting out of here on Lenny Kravitz's tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> she was dating Lenny Kravitz at the time. And she's like, yeah, we are. We're rolling out. And instead of getting out of there, like so many people's instincts would be, Steve's going downtown. He he runs. He must, he must witness. He's got to see it. So he runs down like block after block until he reaches like a barricade that he can't reach through anymore. And he somehow gets in touch with his friend who has a camcorder and he basically starts making a documentary of about 9-11 with his friend. Oh my God, like he's, he says online? they go around. No, I, I don't think it was ever released. Uh, so he go, he's going around, he's like filming shit. He interviews people. It ends up being like a bigger and bigger project. Like he says at one point he goes to interview Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky. Oh my God. The doc has a title called Carpet of Gold, Carpet of Bombs. But oh at, at some point they basically just abandon it. He's like, we, d we could not finish it. Like it's, it's a project destined to be uh, in, in limbo forever. Uh, Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I that is a, an amazing addition to the and introducing nine eleven canon. Yeah. Uh, if God damn it, I, I if wish you I haven't. Could, if you haven't listened to the nine eleven episode, please scroll back in your podcast history and, and or SoundCloud and find it. Yeah, because this fits right in with the narrative, especially the Lenny Kravitz the escape via Lenny Kravitz's tour bus. That's like Classic. very much like among Classic. the other people who are escaping New York uh, from that. Uh, God damn, I really want to see the uh, lost footage of Steve Aoki's 9-11 documentary. It, it must be crazy. Like, it's probably, like, even just the raw footage strung out is probably pretty good. If there weren't a lot of people walking around with cameras in 2001. And also, and deciding that the thing that you need to do immediately after was talk to Howard Zinn, Zinn and Noam Chomsky. I yeah. mean, he, perhaps Steve, Steven might be a, a Bernard brother. Maybe. That's it. Uh, I, Who know, A lot can happen in 20 years after you get international success, but you know, we'll see. So anyway, th those are the drops. Uh, so that those occur throughout the book, but I, I had to share the 9-11 bit because I was stunned. Honestly. I mean, that, that is, look, that is uh, essential to building the and introducing canon is, is identifying every, every uh, musician we or uh, covers interaction with 9-11. Yes. Uh, so Steve talks about, you know, as a kid, he loves music, uh, but he especially loves Michael Jackson's music. All right. And the way he refers to getting into Michael Jackson is a sequined hand just kind of reached up through the noise and grabbed me by the throat. Okay. Which is kind of a weird way to describe that someone who weird. has been, you know, technically. When was this book published? Late enough. <laughs> <laughs> like last year or so something? So he acknowledges, I think 2017, he acknowledges that 
liking Michael is problematic. But he's a problematic. But he basically says like I can't not talk about Michael Jackson because he's completely in, intertwined with why I make music. No, that's I mean that that's totally understandable. So I, at least there's that. Um, he, he Michael Jackson was his first concert at the age of seven, which I think was at like Knott's Berry Farm or some shit. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh. In, so, and this is what he chooses to share about Michael Jackson besides the fact that he just loved him because what else can you say? In 2009, when he was kind of first making a real name for himself as a producer and DJ, uh, Motown knocks on his door and is like, we are doing like a remix album of Jackson 5 songs. Okay. Would you like to remix a Jackson 5 song? And he was like, sure. And he picks the song Dancing Machine. All right. So do you want to find that? I got it right here. Okay. Good. Oh, let's see when it kicks in. It's not bad. No, this is good. Okay, so here's the thing that I like about this is that it seems more of like a minimalistic house style rather than the EDM like build drops things. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, it might be working to that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like at this point, we would already in a typical EDM song, we'd already be into the like. Yeah. Like yeah. I think this, this is more like lock groove, like house music stuff. This this I think shows that and he's not going to mess like with the basics. Which, for better or for worse, like, would you then you'd judge him for not straying too far and being too creative, maybe? Yeah. But also, like, he's not going to, like, screw with the basic groove. And I think I'm... No, this is good. I like this. Okay, so that's that. In 2017, Motown calls again and says, time for the big leagues, buddy. We're doing the same shit with Michael Jackson songs. What song do you want to pick? And he picks Thriller. <laughs> Okay. Which is kind of bold, uh, and he said he says as much. He's like, you know, now I'm a truly big name DJ. Like, it, this is do you dare? And he so he picked Thriller. He and he basically blows it the first time around. Like he he submits a mix. Yeah, he's he he procrastinates. Like he's got all these shows, uh, and he just like doesn't he delivers something that Sony like turns back to him and is like, do you want to like give this another shot? And he does, and he says he has like a breakthrough. He spends like three straight days in the studio and like comes out with this. It's close to midnight. This is a Steve Aoki midnight hour remix. Under the moonlight, you see a sight that almost stops your heart. You try to scream, but terror takes the sound before you make it. You start to freeze. Between the eyes, you're very 
Yeah. I like it. Those sequence to eighth note uh, bass lines. Once again, like, didn't, I don't think, mess with it in a detrimental way, but it has more of a Here we go. So here's flavor. the EDM part. Here's the build. <laughs> fucking Vincent Price laughs into the build. This guy, this kind of goes. Yeah, and then it just goes into like a chaos jam here. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty good. Like Steve, Steve's no bullshit. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's also it's, like it's big, it's dumb. It's it's big, it's dumb. It's again, it's like you could have told me that basically any EDM artist made this remix, and I I would believe you. It's generic. And I would also say, ah, oh, it's pretty good, yeah. you know? I think the magic you know, if, of if you Steve... said, like, Diplo remixes, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. See, the difference is I think Diplo has a distinctive enough style that I would be like, Diplo did not do this. Okay, well, whatever, you know. Yeah. It, but, like, any of those those A-list names, I'm like, yeah, that should sound like that. Or whatever. just more, like, you know, like, if Martin Garrick had done sure, this, sure, I would have sure, been whatever. like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It, it's, uh, it's hype. Yeah. I think the the Steve Aoki magic is not so much creating an entirely new aesthetic so much as it is just having the balls to be like, yeah, I'll do Thriller. Yeah. I think that's that's where he 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 shines when other people might be like, oh, I don't know. I'll do like a weird B-side. Anyway, back to his early life because this book jumps around okay. a bit. Uh, he shares a formative moment in his in his uh, teen years. In ninth grade, a, an older kid sells him a tab of acid for five dollars. Okay, and he's like, he and his friend like have them like squirreled it in their pockets for like three days, and he finally just decides at a basketball game that he's just gonna like take it. Mm-hmm. And his friends like freak out. They're like, "Oh my god, you're gonna die!" And it, he, do you know where you are? You're in the jungle. You're in the jungle, and he ends up in this like kind of long, uh, long night of the of the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his friend is his friend's brother like drives him around for a while and is like, he's, he's chilling. And then he ends up going, staying at his different friend's house. And he says he's like confronted basically with like good, good versus evil. <laughs> like he's like he, in his mind, he's like the dark side is like pulling at me. He said at one point it felt like he was in a guar music video. <laughs> I like that. the He's like the devil appeared to me and its form was, the, was guar, which is exactly what guar probably wants. Yeah, exactly. If you ask guar like what their goals were, they'd probably be like, I don't know when some kid takes acid for the first time. I hope thinking about us freaks him out. <laughs> that's exactly that's, true. That's a vibe. And then when I hope that same kid gets to college, we make him laugh. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, but, but so yeah, this this one experience. He's also raised religiously, and he's like, I have a choice Which between like religion? Christian, vaguely Christian. Yeah, uh, like I have a choice between like living a, a, a righteous life and like falling into you know the the, the pits life of, uh, the life of the den of iniquity that is uh, taking a five dollar acid tap yeah. at a basketball game. And he came, he came out of it, and he's like, I'm gonna go to church all the time, and I'm gonna be straight edge. And this is his identity for like kind of his formative identity at this point is like a straight edge dude. Uh-huh. He has he falls off for a little bit, but now he says he's committed to clean living. So I I, don't, I think he's like a he's kind of sober right maybe. now. Yeah, which is funny to make a mu- party music. He does like what I remember of that uh, documentary. He does have like a weird intensity uh, and uh, about like the purity of what he does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, and I guess, you know, again, be, being the son of a massively successful, uh, 
businessman doesn't hurt, but you know, having a kind of uh, pure, almost religious intensity about your work uh, also does help yeah. to be that kind of guy. Yeah. No, he he definitely has like kind of a black and white view of uh, just like morality, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's whatever it fits into his particular zone. Uh, so he grows up. He I, I should say too, he grew up in Orange County in like kind of a white environment, and he mm-hmm. was Asian, and like that was alienating for him too. So he's he says like he's he's Christian, he's straight edge, and he really likes music. So he's looking for like community and belonging sure. through music, and teaches himself guitar and drums, starts a bunch of like shitty hardcore bands. Hell yeah. Uh, and do, that, do we have any names of these hardcore bands? Good Hue okay. is his first one. And then... Well, we all I've, know, according to the name of the memoir, Blue is the Good Hue. It's the good. It's the best Hue. Uh, the goodest Hue. So yeah, he, he starts like playing in bands uh, in the hardcore scene, like gigging around Orange County, like just talking about basically gaining confidence of like, he's in a room. He's like, I want to crowd surf, but I'm like too scared. Like I want to mosh, but I like, I'm too freaked out. And he like gradually, like not just gets himself from like the back of the room, but like on stage. Sure. I think that's pretty cool. It's not like a lot of these books we read it. Like people are like, I wanted to be the star since I was a little boy. And he's like, he he forced himself into the spotlight kind of like almost against his will, but clearly meant to do that. Um, can I ask, does he ever talk about the experience of being Asian American in like hardcore scenes? Not really specifically in hardcore. Uh, all, like all he seemed to say was like that was easier for him as like an identity than like trying to exist. You know, for example, he liked hip hop music when he was a younger kid, too. Yeah. but he was like, this is clearly not my scene. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's an interesting thing to navigate of like trying to figure out where you fit into music where it's like, well, I'm not. All the all these hardcore kids are probably like almost exclusively white. Yeah. All these hip hop kids are almost exclusively black. Mm-hmm. I'm into both of these things. Mm-hmm. I'm neither of these things. Yeah. And like trying to figure out where you put yourself into that. Yeah. Uh, even if he doesn't talk about it. I don't yeah. Know. I just no, was wondering if it came out. Yeah. So he that that's kind of his scene for a while. Um, it comes time to go to college. He makes a point here of noting that uh, you know he wasn't born with a silver spoon up his up his butt. Uh, in this, I can, I, can in you the describe sense, to the listeners how high I'm raising my eyebrow? They're they're tall. The, the brows are tall. Obviously, he he does not claim that he has ever been hurting for money. Mm-hmm. Although he did say that once his parents got divorced, uh, money wasn't necessarily like flowing. Mm. Even though like he could have had it at well, any time. There are, two, there are two family families. There. Yeah, and only well, so much. Uh, Benny Hanna. Sp- a spatula flip shrimp money. It, it wasn't like how do, like I don't think his dad was like making it rain, but like whenever he would come to town, it would be like y'all want some presents. <laughs> sure, but then like you would hear things like he went on tour in Japan with his hardcore band in high school, and his mom like paid for everything. So he's not hard up. Yeah, but again, like it's also not like here, honey. Here's a you know yeah. Here's a, a stack, studio. Here's a crazy. studio uh, album contract for yeah. your birthday. But also he toured har- Japan with his hardcore band. And his mom was like, just do it. I mean, you know. Yeah. He's privileged. Grain of salt. Yes. He's, he's got, he's got money, but he's also says he's like in Japanese culture, your firstborn son is the guy who carries on your business. And that is his brother, Kevin. And he was never groomed to take over Benihana. He was never groomed to like even lead a department in Benihana. Like he makes, he, he goes out of his way to say like, I had no, I was never other than washing dishes in like the restaurant if like a few times when he was a kid, like 
he was not set up to, to yeah. for success within his family. So he kind of had to forge his own path. Yeah, I look. I appreciate. I appreciate that kind of thing that he would have to do to like navigate a position to, in his own family. But I mean, I, I just think that you can never, uh, you know, negate the importance when you're trying to do the kind of things that he's trying to do of just your, having money. Uh, well, a of having money and B that money being of international, like an internationally famous restaurant, like celebrity restaurateur playboy just yeah. being your dad. Yes. And, yeah. and so people are not just like having the cushion of money, but being like, hey, there's this DJ who wants to come in to the studio tomorrow. I don't know much about him, but he's the Benny Hanna guy's kid. Yeah. And like, even if nobody in the the room knows who knows Rocky Aoki personally. Yeah. But you're just like, oh, okay, sure. The Benny Hanna guy's kid is coming in. That, yeah. Like that ambient cultural force. Yes. I think it, it, it's an inquantifiable value that, that can't be downplayed. Yes. Yeah. I think that's fair. And also, I mean, to, you know, to reference uh, uh, Matt Chrisman's uh, take that right now, the only way to basically be successful in, in pop music is to have a rich family or to have money. It kind of fits. Like, yeah, it does. When there are, when you don't have, like, it's not like, it's not like when there's nothing left to lose. Like when you don't have to worry about like really hitting bottom. Yeah, failing out or, yeah. Then you can take more risks. So. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, uh, an introducing fan, um, I was talking to them at the, uh, the 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 East Bay watch party on California primary night. They were, you know, I mentioned that Steve Aoki is next. Uh, and I was like, would I surprise, would it surprise you to learn that he is the kid of the guy who founded Benihana? And I didn't even know Matt was behind me, but I just could hear him say, as he rolled his eyes and walked away, walked away. Oh, of course he is. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he, so he goes to college. He picks UC Santa Barbara because UC Santa Barbara is close to one of his favorite hardcore labels, which is Eb- Ebullition Records. Okay. So he, is that he's the like, banana I, slugs. Yes. Wait, I thought Santa Cruz or Santa Barbara. I think that that is Santa Cruz. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, there's there's a lot of Santas in, there in California. It's a Santa rich city for a place. It's a regular Santa Con. Yeah, he so he like he he's aware of Ebullition Records. Like he collects their tapes and like reads their zine all the time. And so he like goes to college, knocks on their door, and is like, "Can I have an internship?" So he starts like writing for them, uh, and like you know packing packages or whatever. He lives in a vegan punk rock co op at UC Santa Barbara. I mean, this is all cool. Like it's. He's, he gets it how he lives it. Like That's that, true. I will I, say I that. Her, like, yeah. I don't like, I think he's probably accused of a lot of stuff based on who his family is and how much money he has. But, but he, he wasn't. He tried to do the thing. You, li- you no, live in a I, vegan punk rock co-op. You got to wash the dishes, man. That's true. Otherwise, you got to do the co-op things. Out. I know how co-ops work. You got to restock the bulk bins. I'm, I'm looking up who's on Ebullition Records and I don't Steve, recognize any of these things. Steve, we're out of muesli. Go get more. Go muesli. get more muesli. Yes, yes, sir. I will, sir. <laughs> um, and so in college, his friend, whose name is Mike O'Brien, shout out to all O'Briens. We're all connected via apostrophe. Um, he has. Uh, a- wait, I do have to say that Ebullition Records, uh, the Los Angeles uh, reading from the Wikipedia, the Los Angeles Youth Crew hardcore band Inside Out was meant to record an LP. For the first ebullition release, however, Re- Revelation Records asked them to do Seven Inch instead, and the band chose the more established label. The record wasn't released for another year after the band had broken up and reformed as Rage Against the Machine. Hey, 
Inside Out had planned a second record to be titled Rage Against the Machine, a phrase coined by, by McClard in the zine No Answer Number 9. Uh-huh. They never managed to finish the second record, and singer Zach De La Roca ended up using the phrase as the title of his next band. So one degree, uh, Aoki, Rage Against the Machine. Coming back this year, Aoki should do a Rage Against the Machine remix. I would definitely work out to that. that <laughs> I would I would sweat to that. Um, so his friend, Steve's friend Mike, has a little house venue called the Pickle Patch. Aw. And the Pickle Patch is basically, you know, for lack of other spaces, uh, a se- just a scene, a scene. Yeah, it's, I, like, Every, like, like hardcore, I, punk rock, yeah, I got, ska, fucking, you know, this is... I got a basement. Yeah. This is early 2000s in, uh, you know, California at this point. Like, sure. Fer- fertile ground for these sort of DIY rock bands mm-hmm. uh and steve says he he says i didn't cre- this is not my invention i did not create the pickle patch but once i signed on i helped it along okay i kind of helped it along me so he was like the vibe manager of the pickle patch steve is a viber mm-hmm. and that's where i think that's reading this the most is like he i think steve shines best when he's vibing when he's collaborate when he's built linking and building and I think this is a perfect example of like the pickle patch and then the stuff he does later on where it's like he might not be the ideas guy or he might not be like the genesis of something, but he's good at collaborating. He's good at spreading the word. He's like a promoter. He's a hustler. And so that like I'm a hustler, babe. And that results in uh, I think he says the the biggest band to play the pickle patch is at the drive in. I think that's. Right. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's drive-in? like a real band. Yeah. Um, and then so this DIY uh, uh, ethos inspires him to start his own label okay dim mac records okay which i'm not sure if you heard it but that that's like his signature thing and i think it still exists and he says this is starting a record label is another way to support artists who didn't have an outlet and he's fully hands-on like he's the only the sole proprietor and employee he does he designs the sleeves he does the recording he does the distribution the promotion like he does everything he works he works and he gets these bands to sign on and he puts out like a fucking seven inch or something for them and then makes literally the same amount of money that it took to produce it sure. and moves on. And he doesn't say it's he's once again, he doesn't he's not it's not like he's like, oh, no, I will go broke if this fails. But he's but he's still boosting other people. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. this is the uh, this is honestly uh, the socialist dream is, you know, that uh, getting to a place where you can do things like this and do put in work, but you don't if you fail. You don't like die. Yes. Um, God damn it. My fucking. Yes. My mom forwarded me an email from my dad recently. That was like such boomer energy. Uh-oh. That was just like like a, one of those facile allegories uh, that was like uh, a, a professor, an economics professor's class uh, learned that their class was interested in socialism. So she's they she applied an experiment. Uh, everybody would be assigned the average grade that, the, that everybody produced. Mm-hmm. So after the first week, the average grade was a B. And everybody who had worked lower than that was happy. But everybody who worked higher than that didn't feel rewarded. So they all worked a little less. And after the second w- a week, the average grade was a C because the people who worked higher didn't have any explicit. And yes. so on and so on mm-hmm. until everybody was failing out of the, out of the class because yeah. the, there was no incentive to work. And like my reply to all that was like, okay, A, this is fucking like childish yes. uh you know this is like reading a grim's fairy tale about the dangers of socialism yes uh but b the thing that you that that allegory fails to 
conceive of is that the basic superstructure of that, the class, the room, the teacher, the mm-hmm. uh, the access to to you know getting to the books and everything. Yep. That is all assumed to be equal. And those things are not provided under our our current system. Yes. That is what we want to assume that that structure is there and then people that can have the energy to do the work. Yes. Who might be your Aoki types. Yes. That it exists throughout ever have mm-hmm. like cushion. I mean, I don't know what his living situation was like at this point. I think he was still living in the in the co-op. Anyway, here's my proposal for another Grimm's fairy tale allegory. Let's assume that that first situation is actually socialism, and the second situation is actually here's my thing of like a socialist professor's class where they had access to all the means to just have a nice life and could just do work on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, asked to try capitalism instead, mm-hmm. so she said, "All right, great. Well, first of all, all the people who uh, whose parents went here." you get an immediate 10-point bump in your grade. Yes. Uh, everybody else uh, will take the first test. And the people who get A's, which are mostly the people who have the 10-point bump, uh, you get the ten point, the next 10 points from the people who, create, who came behind you because they obviously didn't work hard enough. Yes. So you get another 10 points for the next class yes. test. So that test happens and, you know, they get a plus 20-point bump. Yes. Uh, well, the people who now got C's, you obviously need to work even harder. So your top 10 points are going back up to the free people at the top. Yes. And so on and so forth until eventually the... Uh, people with the A's don't even need to come to class because they're just automatically getting 100 points and everybody else is scoring in the 20s and 30s. Yes, and they've they've put their grade points in a um, like a, a fixed high APR, like yeah. savings grade uh, account. So maybe hopefully so that got, eventually you know, five, over time yeah. they could maybe accrue a few others because they're all the grades that they, all the points that they are getting are just getting sent up to the, the, the top earners. Yeah, and then they also, yeah, they have access to, you know, uh, grade managers who can, you know, they say, oh, that, that you know, 5% return is nice, but like I can do you 11 if you put it in my grade, grade fund manager. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a big diversion, but I, I, I just, re- you know, I've been catching up on emails since getting back from tour and I read that, that boomer email about the fucking socialist grading and I got uh, 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 riled about it. Mm-hmm. And I know my mom listens to the show and I sent that response to my mom. So uh, balls in your court. <laughs> defend capitalism back to me. Uh, yeah, the in an ideal world, like you know, you've got a social safety net to to buy granola to like, start your hardcore make, label and start your hardcore label. Yes, and not just. I mean, the nice thing about socialism is is it's people. You know, it's it's like Soylent. It's people. Yes, it's it's if you have a band that you might have someone who's like. I can shoot your video. I can, uh, you know, do your graphic design. I can press your your vinyl. Yes, let a thousand hardcore labels bloom. <laughs> that 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 is the society that I want. A hardcore label in every pot every yes. Sunday. <laughs> uh, that's so. So he starts this thing, and that's I. I figured you would like this because I know you're a you're a Jam Econo guy. Yeah, and Sivioki is jamming a No, a I appreciate bit. I appreciate that that he put in the work to to do a a actual like DIY. Label. Yeah, and so Dim Mac also like as it develops, it becomes not just like a record. It's a Steve kind of dabbles in like management and promotion, like all these all of these things, and he gets these opportunities as his star kind of rises. Like for example. Uh, he has the opportunity to release Arcade Fire's first EP. Do you remember the No Cars Go EP? Yes, I do know that. could have been a Dim Mac release, but he was he was stubborn. He was like, if I can't get funeral, I want nothing. Ooh. And they were like, you get nothing. And he could have like, imagine the world in which funeral was a Steve Aoki production. I do think he has an ego. Like he has an ego, which you have to 
a little bit. But and I think that sometimes the ego got in the way. Uh, he also has a sort of awkward early stint when I, MIA is first bubbling up okay. where he's trying to manage her in America, much to the chagrin of her UK label. He's like, they hated me. They hated me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure like, you know, everyone has their own attitudes about things where they're like, who is this guy, guy in California who's trying to manage MIA? Like, we got this. We, we got this covered, bro. We got, yeah, what the fuck is your problem, man? See, it wouldn't be a return to introducing if we weren't doing bad, bad British, British accents. accents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck is wrong with you? The fuck is wrong with you? Fuck we, off. We then. know the MIA. <laughs> uh, so that, anyway, Dim Mac, which was like his kind of workhorse thing, led to him being a DJ because if everyone was like, hey, you like music, you like, you have a depth and breadth of music taste. Do you want to DJ? And he was like, sure. <laughs> but like he said in the book, he's like, I never wanted to be a DJ. Uh -huh. And it just kind of naturally came around based on what he was doing. And so his first DJ gig, uh, was at this bar. Um, I've not recorded the name of the bar, but a bartender named Callie DeWitt suggested that Steve DJ. Yeah. And the first night at this bar, the the bartender invited to, him to, he played nothing but hardcore. <laughs> and like, he's like, I don't know. It seemed like people seemed to like it. And he's like, I later learned that DJing is actually not about playing the music that you like. It's about, about playing the music, the music that people, people want to like. hear yeah. and dance to. And I'm like, yep, Steve, that's it. That's, that's, my, that's my big uh, problem about DJing is uh, I just want to play the songs that I want to hear. You, Which I like to you think that let that go. I know that other people want to hear. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Um, Molly and I are going to take back back to back DJ classes and become a DJ duo. By the way, uh, and Detro Nation. Yeah, you you'll be able to catch us at uh, clubs throughout the tri-state area. As um, well, I guess we'll have to figure out our DJ yeah. names. Shit, that's going to take another take couple of years. Yeah. Uh, no, put a pin in that. That that will happen. Yes, great, good manifesting. I'm down. Um, so he his original DJ name is DJ Cry, which I think is kind of cool. And then DJ Kid Millionaire, which is a mm, little that's more That's very like uh, early 2000s, like trying to be a hype beast. Mm -hmm. um, he ends up getting involved with a regular party in LA called Fucking Awesome. Okay, sure. And this is all move, moving solidly into like 2003 to 2008. Mid-aughts like, lifestyle. Um, and he said like he... The thing, once again, that I have to respect about Steve Aoki, like he goes to the party, he has fun at the party, and then he reaches out to the organizers and is like, I will hand out flyers for you. Like whatever it takes to like- To make this support a thing, yeah. the scene. And like he eventually uh, ends up DJing at Fucking Awesome. That leads to him getting his own Dim Mac Tuesdays, which is uh, in an old movie theater turned- uh, <sighs> club called Cinespace in LA. Oh, that That's great. when I started to become aware of him. So like the, the Cobra, Cobra Snake, Snake stuff. photos were at, were like Steve Aoki yeah. at Cinespace. Yes. Okay, cool. And so then he, he, uh, kind of reminisces in a few pages about like, you know, he DJs these parties where like Skrillex comes, Kanye comes, Black Eyed Peas, LMFAO, like these like kind of scene leaders, uh, like famous, yeah. genuine famous are coming to the party to have fun. Uh, at a time that was like pre-social media, but not pre-blogs, where you you could kind of you know like, Don Don Draper uh, London Fog limit your exposure, <laughs> where like you weren't 
you could behave badly, but like the pictures were going to look good. Yeah. No one was going to like Instagram live you like blowing lines in the bathroom. Yes. So like it was kind of the last era of debauchery. And uh, Steve uh, was there. Of, of, of like a, a real paparazzi. But, but almost like this weird distinction of that blog era where the paparazzis were like nice in the way that they were like kind of fans. Like well, Cobra was a like, relationship. Yeah. Cobra was like a fan of all the people that, he photographed and he didn't want to embarrass them. No. He, they, I don't, uh, because the success of his blog was the success of access. And also he wanted to portray himself as a cool dude. Yes. And he he wanted to make everyone else look like cool dudes. And he wouldn't blow up anybody's spot. Yeah. Like that. It's like kind of the perfect paparazzi relationship of being like, look at these cool guys having fun of also, also I am one of them. Yes. Also, I mean, my, (laughs) the, 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 the titsmith's lament that social media has basically meant that no one gets their tits out at shows anymore. Yes. And people did that at those parties. And you know why? It's because they didn't care whether it ended up on Cobra Snake. Yeah. That, they might have cared whether it ended up on, on someone's Twitter or on Instagram. Twitter, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, got like Gawker a few years. I guess Gawker was uh, contemporary, but. Uh, Th- these were people for whom uh, getting their tits on last night's party or Cobra Snake would have been an, an honor. honor. We've been talking about this about like I've been thinking uh, about this a lot. Uh, Why? Hopefully, <laughs> Why? Hopefully, this doesn't come off as like rude, rude or objectifying. Or I well, look, I know I'm I'm the thing that the other thing I produce is on the front page of the New York Times for being rude. So what do I care? Yeah. Uh, but like the the idea that. Uh, but one of the 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 cool add-on bonuses of 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 old huge concerts was that occasionally uh, girls would get their tits out the because they were having fun and it was cool. But now like everybody free. has like social media linked video HD video camera in their pocket. Yeah, it's like oh we can't do this anymore. And uh, like, yeah, you you end up on someone's t- Twitch stream that someone screenshots and you know zooms in and yeah. enhances, yeah. and you get doxxed before the night is over. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, I'm not uh, saying that we, we're not because we're both on the same page about this. Saying this like out of pure horniness, but out of a sense of like lost freedom, you know? <laughs> yeah, that like a little bit of both. That like in in the Woodstock '99 videos. It really seems like the well, people who are taking their shirts off are having a good time. They're having a good time. And they're, they're just like expressing They're probably some kind lost of, in the sauce a little bit, but... But they're having some kind of, uh, of freedom around yes, them uh, yes. that is a, a sense of lost freedom because we all have to be incredibly guarded at all times considering that literally anything that you do in any public space, your audience is the entire world. The audience or the... the uh, The surveillance state is inherently anti-tit. And uh, I'm not here for it. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. That's uh, uh, a true. What we're all saying is a true act of rebellion is a uh, uh, tits out for rage against the machine. Tits, tits out for Bernie. Tits out for rage against the machine. Uh, in 2020. <laughs> yeah, and that includes dudes too. Yeah. Everybody. A uh, dicks out for rage against the machine. Dicks out for rage against the machine. Di- oh man, remember dicks out for Harambe. Uh, shout out Brendan Wardell. S- a simpler time, <laughs> a special time. Uh. Okay, so Steve Aoki gradually making himself uh, a local and then a national name as a DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also pr- presumably developing his DJ powers yes, at this time. getting better, aware of his limitations. Moving on from all hardcore to uh, maybe some people like... Maybe uh, some LCD sound system. Maybe some of this music can be uh, some kind of, some form of uh, dance music. Perhaps a um, an electronic form of dance music. Yeah. 
so his his father dies in 2008. That's devastating to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has like a long scene of just like saying goodbye to him. And rip, that like fucks him up. Rip to a legend. Obviously. Um, and in that same kind of period, he's gone non straight edge. So he it, it wasn't until like a few years. He, it seems like he lives in the punk rock vegan co-op a few years after college. Like mm-hmm. he's one of those guys. That's fine. Well, that uh, is the nature of the punk rock vegan co-op. It stands. You never have to leave. Yeah. You don't have to go home. But you can stay yeah, here. Uh, he his first I get, drinking. I would say that the the optimal age for the punk rock vegan co op is seventeen to twenty seven. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, his first drinking experience uh, ends with him puking all over the beloved vegetable garden of his co op, oh, and that, which well, is that's, a that's nutrients major party foul. That's a faux pas. Yeah. Not not nice. I think that's just nutrients. Is I don't know. I don't want to think too much about it. So somebody who's into gardening, tell us whether or not you can fertilize <laughs> yeah, fertilize well, a garden with tell vomit. Tell us whether vomit is po- is compost, I guess. Uh he so he he starts drinking then, he enjoys drinking, and then it like kind of spirals out of control a little bit, but I would say it's not like his rock bottom is like nowhere near uh like Duff McCake. His his tummy doesn't explode. Okay, sure. But he he's aware of that as like a, a thing and he uh, it, it isn't until the death of his friend and his uh, self-described life coach, DJ AM, that he kind of whips himself into shape and stops using, I think, what sounds like most substances. Steve Aoki seems like the kind of guy to like microdose some mushrooms or like take an ayahuasca trip. Sure. Which maybe doesn't count. That yeah. just seems like his vibe, you know? I mean, that, that was the vibe that I got from the documentary. It was not like he had ever had like a substance problem. He He was just like, he, you know, he has like a throttle and he can, he had had the throttle high for a little bit. And then after a while he was just like, oh, I'm going to pull this back. Yeah. And it was like mostly fine. Yeah. Um. So he, he basically has a segment of the book that's just kind of like shout, pour one out for my homies. <laughs> like DJ AM, who we've talked about before. That's a, a mid aughts DJ, like kind of a low key legend. Adam Goldstein, who was like a scene dude, dated Nicole Richie, like got sober, ended up in the plane crash with Travis Barker. From Survived the plane crash. Best friends with Travis Barker. Yeah. Uh, DJ duo with Travis Barker. Yeah. Uh, survived the plane crash with Travis Barker, but then caused him to relapse. Relapse, yeah. Once he was like back on meds uh, and uh, eventually overdosed. That Steve takes that extremely hard. He talks about Chester Bennington. Mm. Uh because he, Steve worked with Lincoln Park a little bit uh, about Chester Bennington uh, killing himself. He, you, let's play some more music here. I guess the remix for "A Light That Never Comes." Will you look that up? That's like his collab <sighs> with Lincoln Park. That never. Lincoln Park, Steve Aoki. Okay. Is this his memorial song? I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Incongruous. I don't really know what to make of this. Yeah. 
is like one of these things where this is like a late 2000s thing where I'm like, I don't know what this is, who this Who's is for. Who is this for? It's like an EDM club emo banger. See, this is part of school. Yeah. Again, those big synths. I like them. But I also feel like this is a different, this music is a different mood. Yeah, this is like morning Chester feeling, yeah. waiting for the light that never comes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. Yeah. All right. Uh, mixed messages. Uh, and the other person he he verbally pours one out for is Avicii. Oh yes, of which course. Rip, rip again to a yeah, gone to too a soon legend. Um, and he rem- he remembers a moment where they were both hanging out backstage at the Tomorrowland Festival sure. in Belgium, I think. Yes. And Steve, for some reason, was like extremely nervous to play, and he basically like told, uh, "What's Avicii? Tim Berglund?" He told. Uh, Avicii that he was like feeling nervous like and kept talking about it and then before he knew what was happening he said Avicii collected me in a giant bear hug picked me right off the floor and squeezed tight like he was hugging the fear right out of me Oh, he sounded like a sweetheart yeah. Avicii did like that's a bummer that's a that's very unfortunate yeah Ugh. so that there's I mean he, he he's like there's a dark side to like getting be, being a I mean, famous Avi- musician Avicii is such an interesting case because it's like it wasn't substances it wasn't anything you just see from it everything we read I mean, mental health issues it was like he was like o- overworked as a DJ which is something that Steve Aoki like Steve Aoki plays 250 shows a year Jesus Christ which is an insane amount to work but then you think about what the job is which is basically to like jump up and down and like vibe intensely for like six well, hours you, well, look, in Las do, Vegas. We were just in Las Vegas. You do That's the not a healthy place. I would say I love I loved Las Vegas, but it's not a place to like be normal. Yeah, but you got to do the knobs too. That is the thing. You must do a few knobs. You have to do the knobs. A minimum of five, if yes. not six or seven. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing that's always the weirdest thing about Avicii's death is that he he took his own life in Oman. Yeah. Wait, can I share my Oman story? Yeah, do you have an Oman story? I do. I'm just wondering if I'm allowed to, like, with whatever I signed when I left Snapchat. You can tell. No, nobody's doing this <laughs> shit. <laughs> okay. This is fine. I I think this is okay. I used to work at Snapchat, and I would curate their user-generated content into these, like, stories that you would publish to right. their entire user base. Right. And we used to do, um, like, a day in the life in blank. And we'd be like, Paris. Tokyo, fucking like San Juan. And then we would do sometimes full countries. And we did the whole entire country of Oman, which is to say that the country was geofenced, meaning the entire perimeter of Oman was allowed people in Oman to send Snapchats straight to us, being like, this is life. And it, sometimes you would pick a country that wouldn't have a very uh, engaged user base and Oman was the opposite. It seemed like everyone in fucking Oman was on Snapchat. But the thing is, we the research was not done so that the Oman day came on uh, a Muslim holiday called Eid, Eid el-Adha. I'm going to fucking pronounce that wrong. Mm-hmm. It's a day, it's a really interesting day. It's kind of like a, my understanding is like a harvest day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you do is you kill, you slaughter an animal uh-huh. and you save a third you like celebrate with and like eat a third and then you bring a third to like friends or family 
And so I got there and the time difference meant that I went to the office at like two in the morning and I opened my computer and I looked at all the snaps that were coming in and there were like 3,000 snaps and everyone was beheading chickens, cutting the necks of goats, uh, like birds, Big, big animals. Like camels. I saw one camel, and so I I just went from zero, like asleep, to watching uh, like thousands of animals get slaughtered uh, in Oman, and just people being like so hype. They were like, "Oh my god, Snapchat! Welcome to Oman!" And they would like pan to their brother (laughs) who was cutting the cutting the head off a fucking camel. And this is I like I I do not mean any disrespect to the country or the religion. I think that's actually a kind of a bomb holiday. Uh, I think it's kind of dope. But that was, was that's my association with Oman is like, God damn, what is going on? Yes. Weird place for Avicii to die. <laughs> Weird place for Avicii to die. Uh, Molly's Snapchat stories are uh, the best. Uh, <laughs> we'll, hopefully, we'll dribble more of those out. <laughs> over the course of this. But yes, I remember you telling me about that and just like marveling at the, the story never artist. went live because I called my boss and I was like, we, all of this is just slaughtering animals. And I was like, this is mostly people killing animals and we can't not include this because this is cultural erasure. Like if yeah. we, if we post stories without this, like that is going to be worse than showing it. Uh, I, th- I think it's kind of metal to like kill, like kill your own food and you bring some to your neighbors. Yeah. You bring That's some to your neighbors dope. and give some to God, give some to God. Yeah. Take some, give some, also give some, but then do something that's not yeah. actually going to consume yeah. it. Anyway, anyway Avicii. Avicii. R.I.P. R.I.P. A real one. A real one. Love love that Levels song. Yeah, should we listen to a little Levels? Sure. This is like, if there was a, I feel like if there's a textbook and the textbook is like EDM definition, like this is probably the song, right? Mm-hmm. And I just like a good, like nicely sequenced little uh, synth line. Nice. Changing the cutoff. Yeah. Slowly turn those knobs, making the same sequence. The, the hook. Yeah, classic. The way that the like each note is like forced into the next one, yep. that it kind of sounds like a piano, but not. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like fake hitting the keys. Yeah. The, 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 the attack is very uh, it's very hard. Oh, I'm sorry. Your life was so hard. Yeah. Your music was was joyous. It was good. We don't have to listen to all this. Oh, I'm sad. Back to Steve. He's he's talking about how he then like sort of becomes himself as as an artist and like who he's inspired by. So like Ed Banger Records is like a big inspiration for him. So that's like Justice. 
mm-hmm. like he says, going to Justice's 2008 Coachella show, like blows his mind that like you know the that they would do that that, that yeah just like the cro- the light up cross and the should we tell our fucking justice story now we saw justice at Pan- did we, have Pan- we told this I don't already know. We saw justice we've at- been potting so long that i'm like oh like, no did we, do this one? Did we? we saw justice at panorama a few years ago and they came on and they they were in a big tent and they had their big like cross and it was just two french guys standing across with each other like doing knobs and sins uh against each other and after like the first 15 minutes which was jamming there was just like a high pitched squeal, like that, like went on for a long time, and then it cut off, and the sound stopped, and uh, both of them had both been smoking cigarettes the, the during time. during their set, which was like I appreciate it as being incredibly French, and one of them just came up to the front of the stage with the cigarette in his mouth, just gesticulating a wildly. Um, I mean, you, you probably do a better French person impersonation than me, but you know, like, however, Molly would translate this as being like, eh, is this also you? Is this you? Just like looking out at the sound guy. It being, is, where is the error oh, of the uh, sound equipment? Is it with us? Something with the speaker? Like taking big drags out of the cigarette is being like, Je ne comprends. just shrugging and like doing <laughs> the, the mime stance and being like, I do, I do not know. I do not know if this is me or is this you? Is it us? Is it you? Is it you? I believe it is you. I, be- <laughs> I think it is. Uh, we are. Everything is good up here. Is it with us? And then they just walk off the just stage in the set. The stage and set. decided to dip. Yeah. It was, it was freaking sick until that point. Though. It was a great 15 minutes and then like two minutes of the most French expressions that I've ever seen and yeah. then nothing. Uh, I have heard rumors that Justice are actually like press play guys. Like yeah. they don't do anything, which once that's fine. I don't it's care. fine. You made the music. It's cool. It is fine. I don't care. I will look. We we produce the sound in the studio. What do we need to do to repair? I am the, not the, watching you the turn the knobs. Yeah, we, we are made with the 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 light up cross. It says it says what we want to say. We create the music once. You wanted to create it anew again and again. We do not see the point of doing it oh, twice. Très stupide. <laughs> Merde. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Ed Banger, huge influence on on Steve. Uh, Daft Punk, huge influence on Steve. And Daft Punk is, uh, th- those two are basically like, hey, instead of just like playing dance music, like have a show. Yes. Have visuals, like have some kind of like visual brand. Mm-hmm. And so he he gets the opportunity to play Coachella, which I think is in 2008 or nine for the first time. He receives a fee of $4,000. Okay. And he spends $5,000 <laughs> on LED lights like signs that say aoki just the spell out aoki here's the problem it's coachella show starts at noon and his slot is at like 2 p.m oh he does that early in 2008 or 9 yeah you can't see led lights in the daytime in the desert so he's like damn i really bungled that one (laughs) like he spent homie spent more than his fee on these lights, I would, I would be see. surprised that for a 2 p.m. slot, that Coachella would even entertain the idea of rolling out your custom lights. I think, I think within reason, like as long as it's not completely insane, you can get your little stage going. I don't know. Uh, I'm more surprised. Four thousand bucks. I would, I would expect less for uh, a 2 p.m. That's about what I would expect for yeah. uh, the 2 p.m. slot yeah. at Coachella. Um, so then he he like takes things a step further and he's trying to synthesize. He's like, what did I like the most about hardcore music and like participating in like a hardcore show and how can I bring that energy to EDM? So he does things like brings inflatable pool rafts that he then crowd surfs on and yes, lets other people crowd which surf Which he did on. in that documentary like later, much later into his career. Yeah. And then he does the caking. 
The caking. Do you know about the caking? He, I saw it in the documentary. Yes. So Steve Aoki, that's his thing. That's like his signature thing. And he tried to stop doing it for a while. And then he was like, no, it's better the, that I do. The fans demand it. So he brings, he, he, the genesis for the idea, like he just happened to like have a cake and then someone was in the audience was begging him to throw it at them. He's like, throw like hit me in the face with his cake, bro. Give me the cake. I want the cake. And so they, he did the it. And then he realized like how uh, <laughs> p- powerful <laughs> it was. I'm like, this is all scare quotes. Like he, he's like, oh, I get like, this is something that it's interactive. It's a resonant moment. It's a, it's creates like a memory. Yeah. It's not, it cre- there's like a, pu- it's punctuation because remember it, that part in the Steve Aoki set where he threw a cake at the audience. Yeah. And like, that was me and I got cake. I got the cake. And then I took a selfie with my Canon power shot <laughs> and posted on MySpace, And now everyone's like, bro, that's so caked. crazy, bro. I thought, you know, I'm seeing Steven in, in a, Minneapolis. I hope I get the cake. I hope I get caked. So he, it's a meme. Yeah. He made a, a live show meme. Meme, yeah. And uh, he said, he said, branding 101, hit on a successful formula and then go looking for ways to put it to work to produce the same successful outcome. Uh, Steve, Steve's one rule for caking, no chocolate cakes because it looks like people are covered in shit. That's a good rule. Yeah. He said the, the, he did vanilla cakes for the first couple cakings because that was what was around and available. And then he did a chocolate cake and he caked a girl who started then crying oh, because no. she's like, it looks like I'm covered in shit. Oh, I'm sure he was very sorry about that. He's yeah. like, I see what I've done. I will adjust in the future. I've made a huge mistake. I'm learning. I'm growing. Uh, he, he notes that there are promoters who refuse to book him if he caked. Oh, okay. Uh, cake haters if you will. <laughs> and he's like, uh, fuck that shit, whatever. And then he announced at one point that he was retiring caking and the promoters still wouldn't book him. So what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? Uh, yeah, just do the cake. It's he's, fine. He says now, he's, he says, I've been caking for eight years. Ten cakes a show. Ten cakes a show? 250 well, shows a year. Oh, so 2,500 cakes a year? Uh, he says he has thrown 15,000 cakes in his life and has a rotator cuff, uh, a torn rotator cuff from throwing cakes from throwing cakes. Well, look, it, it, like it's, if I'm thinking of like a standard round birthday cake, like that's, you know, you have to really launch that. They do the big, they do big ones too. Like they're, they're not like they're, I think the blow, the, uh, range is usually a couple people end up with a significant amount of cake on them. Uh, that's a hilarious bit to commit to. 2,500 cakes is a lot of cakes. Yeah. Uh, the uh, 10 cakes a show. Honestly, dude, I get what you're trying to do. That's too many cakes. You got to make it. I. It should be like a too sig- much cake, it, man. It should be a signature moment. There should be one, one. cake per show, and that should be like the highlight. Mo- but that's Ten. branding 101. You see a seize, seize a moment and repeat it. For maximum, you know. I guess I, I don't know. That's too many. Do you do you want one guy who leaves the Steve Aoki show saying I got caked, or do you want ten, 10 guys, guys posting about it on Instagram, <sighs> posting about he's it on right, Facebook? He's right. He's right. It's I it's not do, ideal, but I would do. I would I would scale down to five to seven cakes. Okay, I think yeah, you gotta you gotta max out. You know, it's an economic situation. True. So that's the the. I warned you before we started recording that I wanted to use this as kind of like putting forth like a grand theory of why it's impossible to like write about EDM, 
even talk about EDM really mm-hmm. in specifics and why like I mean this was the section of the book when Steve Aoki gets to describe his like aesthetic ethos right and his aesthetic ethos is cake and inflatable rafts yeah it's like throwing cakes at people it it's has not very like- little to do with mu- it has everything to do with music but it has very little to do with like music right he clearly I don't think he's able to talk about like why he makes a production decision or, you know, what goes into remixing a song or like making a new song. Right. Well, here. OK, so here's the thing that I would say about this. And I think one of the things that both of us uh, resonate with with EDM is that it's very little about the recorded tracks. Oh, God damn it. This really this really fades into our so far 2020 discussion of like jam bands and stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, sure. and remind me at the end that way I have a jam band tie in for this that I don't believe we talked about okay um that it is an extremely exper- experiential thing and the uh recorded music is a loss leader because you like djs because you like going to the shows and you like experiencing their music and you like that still fertile ground of that thing that we were talking about in the ha- in the hacienda is like that rave atmosphere the plur the community the and not just community like you're you know you're meeting up with these people later but that the <laughs> shows feel communal yes and you're part of this big and energy and you're like uh you know music make you makes you lose control mm-hmm. uh type thing throughout the entire thing and, you, and the point is experiencing it through a concert that you're all there together and like that is why the actual i mean there are details about producing electronic dance music that i'm sure would be very interesting to like tech a technical guy like me but like sure. that's ultimately unimportant as opposed to just like curating a good hype vibe for 62 120 minutes to six to six hours. hours. I, I don't know. I doubt Steve Aoki ever goes that long, but you never know. Yeah, yeah. That that that, that is a experiential form of music where the, it is best experienced live, and the and not even any in individual moment. Like oh, when he played this song, it's like oh, the whole thing was like I was on my I was up and the, down, jumping gestalt. up and down the entire time. Yes, we haven't played a Steve Aoki song yes. this entire time, and we can in a second. Okay. I, your your interpretation of this is similar to mine in that like I think the reason it's impossible to articulate at least for Steve like what is even like special about his His brand like his music his style of production in comparison to others is because at least what he is doing in particular EDM makes you feel like a baby Mm -hmm. EDM makes you feel like a big baby when you go to an electronic music show you are reduced to being like receptive to the most baby feelings and emotions. There's light, there's like vibrations, there's like obviously sound, but like you're not asked to process anything. Mm -hmm. It's already, it's kind of like when like a bird feeds a baby bird, like already, (laughs) like you don't have to interpret, you don't have to uh, contextualize. Yeah, It is all happening right now in that moment. It's big, it's brash. Uh, it's admit, it's like extremely you're, surface level. It's taking you out of your con- like your conceptual brain and into your body. Yeah, like it's a bodily music. At right. least Steve's kind, and I'd say like most EDM in general. Let's say you know IDM in, in intelligence. intelligence well, there dance is intelligent music. dance music. Uh, like music wise, like there's reputation, which creates like a trance like state. Right. Uh, there aren't very complex lyrics. The u- the lyrics are usually repeated as well, mm-hmm. and the lyrics are usually extremely dumb as stupid. Shit. Yeah. Uh, it's the only like 
thing you are processing is what is happening to you, you in your meat sack. Yes. And that's why it's impossible to describe it. The uh, And then occasionally, like, the most profound thing that happens in EDM is, like, dropping the beat. Right. Which is, like, deprivation and then reward. Yes, exactly. Uh, so it's you're literally like a rat in a cage. Like, you're doing the rat thing where yeah, you're yeah. hitting the lever to release dopamine in your brain. Anyway, that's that's why I think it's impossible to, like, have any kind of, like, true intellectual discussion about just the music itself. Yeah. It has to be tied to the narrative of like, you know, being partying in L.A. Do, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know, being the son of uh, the hibachi or t- the teppanyaki guy. Excuse me. <laughs> Those are two different kinds of grills. They are. <laughs> I, uh, the only reason I put hibachi in the intro is because teppanyaki would, would take too much context to do in a quick bit. Yes. It's primitive. Yes, it is primitive. It's, a, you know, it's a beat. There, you know, human beings have been dancing to beats since mm-hmm. they were... I guess able to like chill out a little bit between like woolly mammoth hunts. <laughs> so like that's this is what this is. And that's why I think it's hard to write a memoir about your own electronic music. And honestly, probably for the better, because if he was too pretentious about or too precious about like, oh well, you know, this uh this particular flavor of synth like took me eight days in a cave in Bali to really yeah. understand. I'm like no one wants to read that, dude. Yeah, or like go in and be like, oh, well, the, the, the 2013 update to Ableton Pro really unleashed a lot of new sounds to uh, me that allowed me to really explore the sonic range of, uh, you know, the sawtooth functionality of their <laughs> yeah, their Jupiter plugin. Yeah. I mean, another, another dance music group that we have uh, covered on the show, the KLF, basically said, like, there, there's the groove uh the the almighty groove and expressing yourself within the dance music confines like every expression can be unique in a way like yeah. only you are the the genesis of like what you are doing and making and steve no one else is making steve aoki's music no one's coming to it with quite the experience of steve aoki at this point that's true and so you have to even if it's basic and it is a little basic you kind of have i don't know i kind of have to respect him after hearing his his history Let's listen to his most popular song ever, which is, as far as I was able to suss out, a remix of Kid Cudi's Pursuit of Happiness. It's, it's happening. It's happiness. Crush a bit, little bit, roll it up, take a hit, feeling lit. It's almost like Rat-a-Tat sounds of the background. Rat-a-Tat is the, they, they did the original. This is Rat-a-Tat. I'ma do just what I want, looking ahead, no turning back. People told me slow my roll. I'm screaming out, fuck that. I'm screaming out, fuck that. I'm screaming out, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that. Oh, this song. Yeah. I heard this. To me, this is this came out a while ago, and it, he said himself like it didn't really get popularized until the the movie Project X came out. Uh, Project X has a uh, banger soundtrack. 
Amazing. Tell me what you know about I've never seen that movie. Me neither. Let's watch it. Yeah, I mean it's it's good. It's like there's a popular rapper on it, uh, and uh, it's kind of emo. Yeah. Like it's kind of punk rock. Yeah, and it's clearly this is Steve coming to it, being like, I know what people are going to go crazy. Over. Yeah, it's the big, uh, uh, the the big goofy synths. All right, let's move on to another. A second uh, Steve Aoki song that we do have to talk about. Yes. Which is, of course, his remix of Mic Drop by uh, Korean superstar boy band group BTS. My question is, is this a remix or is this the song? It is Mic Drop Steve Aoki remix. Okay. So, so there this is, a- is the one where I'm like, this is legit. This is a real monster banger of a song. Can we find the original mic drop? Eventually? If you go on the Wikipedia for the song Mic Drop, they have 30 seconds of the original. I've got their original. Okay, great. Anyway, this is the first time we've talked about K-pop on this. Uh, anyway, just that like that riff is so good. The flows on this are so great. The beat is great. It's it's just. So lively? I don't know. And it's also just like, it is totally pop. Yes, it is an actual real pop song, which is different from most of CDOs or something. Yes. But it has, you know, it still has the elements. There's drops. Yeah, yeah. But the drop leads into an actual chorus, which is... Anyway, this song rocks. This song, uh, yeah, talk about being, you know, struck uh, uh, dumb by... I, I, I don't have much to say about the song other than it's just, it's it's, just it's good. It's just good. All right, let's listen to the original mic drop. Ooh, it's like a rock song. Wow. Kind of, yeah, it's a little darker. Yeah. And a little rockier. Mm-hmm. A little Lincoln Parky. Honestly. Yeah, it is. Well, it's like the uh, it's like the um, the Skrillex remix uh, remix of Travis Scott. And this is what uh, our friend Matthew Petra said. Just like. I wonder if you just put a little spice on it. You know? Yeah. Once again, Steve not really like an original from scratch kind of guy, but he knows, he knows he can how pick to pick the it elements up. that you're supposed to crank. And he cranks them. Yeah. This is an, this is an album track that became a, a hit single. Banger. Did you see my bad? Did you see my bad? 
Like this is this is the gem of it, and he yeah, kind he's of just kept amplified that every, But he just like amplified everything around it. It's like sonically. So let's go back back into this. There's just like much more going on. It's great. It's fuller. It's great. All right. I got to play one more Steve Aoki track on our way out. And this is one that I've showed you before, but I I wonder if you remember. And this is how we're going to go full circle to our first episode of the year. <laughs> Where do we hear this? I found it. No, we heard this in New Hampshire. Oh yes, we heard this on the radio. No, didn't we hear it at a bar? Yes. Yeah. This is, of course, the Steve Aoki remix of "Crash Into Me" by Dave Matthews Band featuring Darren Chris. Darren Chris, aka Andrew Keenan, and from uh, Versace. <laughs> yes. The Versace show. So funny. A fucking EDM remix of Crash Into Me. And I come into you. And this this does really okay, so this does really like square the circle. Right? Because it's like the thing between EDM and uh, mm-hmm. uh, jam bands is it's very experiential, you want to see it live. Um Wow. But then also the thing that we were like, Dave Matthews band songs are really weird. Yes. And EDM songs are really formulaic. Yes. And somehow Steve Aoki managed to figure out how to take the weird format of a Dave Matthews band song and turn it into the standardized format of... And this works. It does. I'm annoyed. This sounds like, uh, I mean, this has, this almost sounds like the, uh, the, the, God damn it, the song, uh, the Fast and Furious 7 song. Been a long, been a long time. time. Yeah. Honestly, this could be on a Fast and Furious soundtrack. But the, yes. Ooh, the like fake drop. Yeah, so silly. This See, is so I'm, this is so silly. I'm so glad that it exists. And the reason that like EDM is fun and like having a favorite DJ is fun because it's almost like you get to get your own flavor. Yeah. <laughs> this is so stupid. All right. Like th- this just makes me wonder what like an Alice in Wonderland remix of Crash would be, and yeah, I yeah. bet she would kill it. All right, we should. It's be- like having a favorite baseball team. Yeah, it is. It really is. They all play the same sport. They but all they play do the it a same little sport. Everyone is throwing balls, hitting balls, and wearing weird pants. But like you like the way those people do it. Yes, exactly. And even if they, maybe if it's not perfect, maybe it's not great, it's still your guy. You it's, have to root for them through the thick and the thin. And they all, in the same way, to, to tie this from like baseball brands, DJs. Have you noticed when you see lineups for EDM festivals, the really big people and even some of the medium big people 
they have logos. Yes. Their their acts have their brands, logos. Their logos, yes. They are brands. They're obviously they're honestly often just like stylized version of their name, but they have a logo. But, but that's but that's it. And they that usually says something about them. Yeah. And I think that EDM is the best at making meet like memes and brands of things. Is that is that a, a signifier of our dark times? Yeah, probably. Maybe. But like, you know, the fucking dead mouse head ass thing. Yeah, yeah. The marshmallow head. The marshmallow head. There's a, a lady DJ named Rez who has like re- perfectly round LED light up like spiral glasses that okay. she wears. Like everyone gets like you kind of have, have to have your thing. Because honestly, the music sounds very often very similar. Yeah. So you got to have your own thing. And like, I know that's not it's not necessarily great, but it's interesting. <laughs> All right. So we went. Almost, we're at 150 on this. So this we went longer on Sibayoki than I was uh, imagining, especially considering this book looks to be about 175 pages. She's skinny. She's uh, a skinny legend. So let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Yes. It's been a minute uh, since we've done this. It's uh, Bam. It's Bam. Uh, I definitely have. Oh, listen to the last episode of Reply All, uh, number 158, The Case of the Missing Hit, which I had a small but a pivotal role to play. Uh, my friend Kyle sent along a story from a friend of his that I sent along to PJ that they made it into a very good episode about uh, music and pop music and ephemerality and uh, songs that we hear and songs that we can and cannot remember. I mean, that makes it sound highfalutin, but basically a guy remembers a song from his uh, youth, uh, but can't find any evidence on the internet of it and remembers it very, very plainly. And they do an incredible investigation to figure out what that song is. And it is very satisfying on the end, but uh I sent that story along and I'm glad that they made it into a thing. A much better, uh, <laughs> a much deeper dive into pop music than even we do. So check that out. Uh, the case of the missing hit number 158 reply all. Um, I'm going to le- read a little mi- listener mail, please. This is from uh, Danny R. Hi, I just finished my first step parentheses manager, Richard Ross, and I love it keep kicking myself for not reading books and I keep ignoring it, but I might actually be pushed into picking up a book because of you guys. Hey, great. Reading is cool. Uh, he guesses us up for how great we are for a little bit, which I won't read on air, <laughs> but thank you for your compliments. But here's your thought. I would love to hear your thoughts of country music of any type. Uh, I believe the best stories and the biggest and most fascinating artists and personalities come from hip hop and country music. Mm. Not sure I can recommend any books, but I'm sure there are plenty on my drive from LA to Sacramento a few weeks ago, uh, Will, Matt, and Amber were trading off the iPhone playing Bakersfield country type mm-hmm. stuff, like a bunch of out, outlaw country type bands and a lot of the artists associated with that act. And it got me very interested uh, in investigating people like Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and uh, Wynn Stewart, uh, Tommy Collins, like people like that. Uh, so that is the thing that I'm interested in. Bakersfield, California, the Bakersfield sound, uh, the the origins of outlaw country, a lot of the uh, the the weepy drunks uh, with <laughs> great songs that that scene produced. So that is my answer to that. Uh, that is something that I will try to be uh, finding some books about and, and yeah. uh, recommending down the line. So that is my listener email. Thank you, Danny R, for listening. Thank you for finding the show. And thank you for writing in. I will say too. Uh, uh, we should. Uh, we should. To uh, Wanda Jackson's book. Uh, Wanda Jackson is like one of the first ladies of rock and roll, specifically rockabilly, uh, with uh, some country music in elements as well. 
And she wrote a book called Every Night is Saturday Night, A Country Girl's Journey to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hell yeah. So we should That's definitely do that. That's a great title for a book. Yeah. Uh, a country character, if you will. And of course, you know, we have we had Garth Brooks. Uh, we do a, have Garth Brooks. I like subject. that episode a lot. He's a weirdo. Um, that being said, thank you all for listening. Um, thank you all for all the fans we met along the way. I'm probably going to withhold this episode for even another week just to give us a little bit more of a buffer because we are recording another episode on Saturday. Yes. And it'll probably take me a few days to edit this. So yes. uh, hopefully on. Hopefully we're all not, you know. Perish from the Rona. from the from the virus. Everyone stay stay stay. stay so hopefully March eighteenth, we're going to be dropping back in, and then from there, we're going to commit to the regular schedule of every two weeks a new and intro. Uh, we have some people that we were emailing and some correspondences that fell off that we're going to try to follow up on. We'll make a real schedule starting when this comes out, uh, March eighteenth. We're going to be we're back, back on it. it. We're back on the ball. Yes, back at it again with the back white in the New York groove with the with the white pods. Remember that meme? Damn Daniel? Damn Daniel. Back at, back at it again at the Krispy Kreme. Back at it but again. But also the, back back at it again in the white vans. Anyway, regardless, I'm going to do the end of the show, Patter. Do you have anything you need to plug? Um, for, You know, there's been some interesting stuff on my Instagram, at the Molly Zone. At the Molly Zone please, on Instagram. Please visit my Instagram. I've been, now that I've been back, I've been going to some more shows in the New York area, Hold filming on, them. For, not for much longer. Uh, Yeah, I've got to get, gotta get it in while I can. Uh, some really cool shit from bands like Ash Jesus, Shark Swimmer, Lola Pistola, The Silk War, Cathedral Bells, uh, uh, Pronoun, and Pom Pom Squad, bunch of shit. It's 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 good. If you like live music, if you like music, uh, that's what I've been putting on my Insta ham as of late. So visit. Great. Well, hopefully, uh, as this city slowly gets shut down in quarantine, we'll be able to continue potting because you know what the thing is? You can still order books over uh, Kindle or whatever, and That's we can true. still get through it. So we will pod, we will pod through pod through the end times uh, with more stories about artists and musicians uh, because even when we're quarantined, we can still stream music. Yes. Follow us on Twitter at and intro pod or send us an email at and introducing pod at gmail.com. And sometimes I will read them. Our SoundCloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And remember to subscribe, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, go and say on there and say, Hey, they still release episodes. It's live. Don't worry about it. Uh, rate and review us. And uh, of course, as always, only positive vibes. Keep there. it plur, baby. Keep it plur in the comments. Peace, love, unity, and reviews of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until then, in this time for real, we'll see you in another two weeks. Another story about music and musicians here on and Deducing.